0: Is actually, you are a real runner, Jacqueline Riccio. All right, it has been a really long time since I've done an interview, and I'm so excited today. I have my good friend Erica. Erica, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So, Erica and I met through our business coach. I guess a little over a year ago. It's crazy that uh-huh. I've known you for over a year now. Yeah, um, she is a certified personal trainer um, movement guru. Uh, she <laughs> has so much, just a wealth of information. And so I'm really excited to talk with you today before we get to some stuff about movement. I want to hear a little bit more about your story. Um, how did you get into being a personal trainer? You aren't someone who just has like this, you know, two week certification, like this is your, like your passion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe I'm closing in on 10 years of being a personal trainer. It's kind of crazy to me to think about that because I really didn't think I would end up being a personal trainer. And here I am almost a decade after the fact. So when I went to college, um, I, in high school, was really good at history and English. So I thought I would get into, you know, maybe being an anthropology major. And then really what it was, was I was starting to look around at career options for being an anthro major. And I was like, I don't really feel like working in HR, so (laughs) let me figure something else out. Um, And luckily, since I was very undecided about what I wanted to do with my life, I went to UMass Amherst, which has more majors than they have adequate teachers. (laughs) So I had a lot to choose from. And I stumbled upon kinesiology, and I had no idea what that word meant. So out of curiosity, I just looked it up. And it basically means exercise science. And that's kind of what struck me. I was kind of like, well, I love exercise. I was a swimmer. I was always active. My dad got me into lifting at an early age. And I was like, this is really interesting. And I took an introductory course. And I went, oh, crap, I really like this. But I'm really bad at math and science. How am I going to pull this off? And probably almost a year after I kind of stumbled upon it, I decided to actually go for it so it was a bit of a reach for me because I had never taken math and science that seriously Mm. I was okay at things you know I kind of grasped that information and moved forward with it but that's kind of what started me actually studying this. and then um, a lot of what really you know kept me going with that was personally I kept getting injured I had been to physical therapy a bunch of times already my freshman sophomore year of college so I was really curious about how to prevent injury so at UMass at least we got to choose sort of our direction I feel like a lot of schools it'll be like it's exercise science with a focus on exercise physiology or maybe it's more the public health aspect but for UMass you got to choose a little bit more um, of which direction you wanted to go through because they had a lot to choose from so I took every athletic training course that they have, everything on biomechanics, everything on um, functional anatomy and stuff like that, because I was honestly, from a selfish standpoint, trying to figure out how to not keep getting injured and also Mm -hmm. still keep working out. And this led me to really want to go on to physical therapy school, which is another three-year degree now. So I would have had to finish school and then continue on to another three years of school. So for me, lifestyle wise at the time i was dealing with some severe leg injuries and financially and just emotionally stressed out just at that time in my life grad school was just not going to happen um it just it would have been too much and in retrospect i had applied but i'm really glad that i didn't try very hard (laughs) because i don't know how i would have made it through three years more of school um so with that I had already become a personal trainer while I was still in college because I figured that was the most logical next step to help me get into physical therapy school because I was already doing athletic training internships and physical therapy internships and just shadowing and stuff like that. So it seemed like the next best thing since I couldn't manually work on people was to help them with, you know, maybe the corrective exercise part of it. So that's what got me into it was, um, I wanted to get to PT school. And then after I finished school, I realized there was this huge gap between where physical therapy left off and where fitness started. Mm. And it's not anything against the physical therapists that are out there. They are highly educated and they're more than capable of getting people all of the way back to where they want to be. It's insurance that's the issue. Insurance kind of says, <laughs> okay, you have a shoulder injury. Okay, you can brush your hair without pain you're good, you don't need us anymore. So depending on what kind of insurance you have or what kind of disposable income you have, you might not be um, working with that professional to the point of getting back to, let's say your sport with swimming that you really want to you know, be good at again, but you have the shoulder that just kind of keeps acting up when you try to push it. So I noticed this gap and I really wanted to be this filler between I just got out of physical therapy Um, I know what I need to kind of work on, and I still can't quite get back to the fitness level I wanted to be at or the fitness level that I have yet to accomplish because I keep getting hurt along the way. So that's kind of where I fell into this niche, and I kind of love it, honestly. I, I think I still might want to go on to physical therapy school just because the knowledge that they have is phenomenal, but at the same time, this... Is still probably the spot I would come back to to use that knowledge if I went ahead and went through it.
0: Yeah, it is so funny. I'm sorry, just that you're like, oh, like I was never really into science. I'm like, when I think of you, I'm like, oh, she really likes science, which is not my forte. I think even when you're getting your like precision nutrition certification, you were like, oh, you could look into this, and I was like, I don't think so. Like that's definitely not something I want to do. But yeah, you are very passionate about this. It's so funny that that wasn't a strength for you before or just not as strong as your other things maybe. I think it just kind of
1: goes to show that when you find a motivation to do something, you will do it, right? Because I had no interest until I realized, wait, I need to know this stuff to understand anatomy and physiology, to understand exercise physiology, to understand what it is that I want to do. So once I really made those connections of why I needed to know basic chemistry I suffered through I got a C but I passed <laughs> and I understood the basics to help me get through the rest of
0: the stuff that I needed to do <laughs> yeah that's huge and that'll actually probably apply to some stuff we're talking about today with with runners and strength training and like the things that you don't want to do but you mm-hmm. have to do to move on so that's right huge. Yep. Huge. So you work with people who are injury prone, people who have been injured or want to avoid injury. What are the things that you like, if someone were to come to your gym in person or see you Mm -hmm. online, like what do you do that's different than what other people do?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the one thing that I do, and this is actually something that I'm kind of told I do a little too much of just in the environment I'm working in now is I will put everybody through at least a small movement assessment no matter what their goals are. So if someone comes to me and they're just like, I want to get my butt kicked, I will still put them through a movement assessment before I give them any exercises. Um, so I would say that's kind of my checklist. Um, I'll make sure I go over any potential injuries, things like that they have. Um, I think I do, I think every trainer will kind of go over what your goals are, um, but I will definitely put a lot of emphasis on the movement piece of it. Even if someone comes to me with purely physique goals, but I also notice that they have a severe movement deficiency. I try to educate them on why it's important for them to, let's say they need um, hamstring flexibility, just kind of an overgeneralization. Um, I will not have that person do some of the big physique builder exercises like a deadlift because in my book, they're a high risk for injury. So they want to jump right to the deadlifts because they see all the fitness models, you know, online doing deadlifts. And that is a fantastic exercise for that, but they might not be physically ready to actually handle those loads and also use their glutes in that exercise like they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So I would say definitely um, movement focused.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I talk a lot about in like life coaching and health coaching, like, we want like we want to move from like a to z but like when that's our goal it's like way outside of our uh zone of proximal development it's too much you have to do those a to b movements and it sounds like you're saying like you need to do that so you don't get injured so you actually can do these things and Mm -hmm. don't quit right and even from like
1: an efficiency standpoint i mean the whole purpose of someone wanting to do deadlifts is to work on their hamstrings and glutes and if their body is gonna say, no, I've got low back muscles to use, they're not gonna get the effects of working in the glutes anyway. So it's also just a logical next step. It's like we gotta fix the movement in order to make this efficient for you to get the results you want in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. So I wanna talk a little bit more about injuries. So I know you said you were kind of, you had a lot of injuries in high school. Um, mm-hmm. What like what kind of what kinds of things did you have happen to you back then when you were kind of getting into fitness?
1: Yeah. So my very first um injury was when I was between sophomore and junior year of high school. Um I had just gotten into playing for a recreational soccer league and up until this point I had only been a swimmer for the most part, except for when I was a little, little kid and wanted to do tap, right? Um so as a swimmer, I had like in retrospect, I had zero glutes. So of course I had some issues going into running. Um, So I was at a summer camp. Um, It was just a week long day camp for people playing soccer. And I was 15 going on 16 and everybody else there had been playing since they were like three years old. So I'm surrounded by these girls that are just like amazing on the field. And my hips started hurting but I didn't want to suck and also sit on the bench. So I just carried on Mm. and that was my first nagging hip injury. And that one, you know, probably like flared up off and on over the next two, three years of my life. It even impacted my swimming, which was very frustrating. Um, So I actually stepped away from swimming for a little bit in high school. Um, That was my first one. And that was my first exposure to physical therapy. And then Honestly, when I, you're asking me this, I have like flashes of multiple physical therapy offices, but some of them I can't even remember why I was there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I was going to say, I think the thing you said though about the, man, I don't want to suck and I don't want to be the person sitting on bench. Like that's a huge one. And I'm th- I was thinking back to the first time I joined a CrossFit gym and we were doing something with like pull-ups and push-ups or something. And it was like, I was like, I'm the slowest person here. Mm-hmm. and um, I can't do this, but I need to keep doing it because if I stop, it's like, wow, I'm the loser of the, like, the losers. So i was just pushing through and then hurt my shoulder and, like, couldn't couldn't work out anymore. Couldn't work yeah. out anymore. Not and worse. then also, like, hated gyms and didn't want to go back to gyms or go back to CrossFit gym. That was, like, eight years ago. Like, mm-hmm. that injury, it's just, like, instead of being like, hey <laughs> – this is too much for me. I need to slow down a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's crazy how much like we're influenced by ego and peer pressure, right? It's not even like anybody was saying, Hey, keep going. It was, it was all ego.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No one, no one cared what I was doing. No one cared. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that was the first injury and then you kind of had like other things happen throughout high school and college too.
1: Yep, yeah, so I think like into college, I think the hip was acting up sometimes, and then I had knee stuff, and then I had shoulder stuff, and um, got to know a lot of different rehab for a lot of different muscles, Um, and then finally, like my last year of college, that was the first really awful one, Um, I developed chronic exertional compartment syndrome in both my lower legs. And it's kind of funny because actually up until two days ago, I had never met anybody else that had never experienced it before. Um, This is a weird one. It's very rare. It's even frustrating for me to actually explain this one to doctors because they start like telling me I'm wrong. And I'm like, no, you're just not a sports person. (laughs) Um, It's, a too much pressure within the muscle fascia basically there's an acute form that people mostly think of like if they've watched Grey's Anatomy or anything like that where it's like they need immediate surgery but that's not what this one is this is basically if I work out or run or spend too much time on my feet then my legs will kind of swell up and they can't really unswell so stuff kind of gets stuck there if you think of that burning feeling when you're working out and how that goes away once you stop working out mine kind of just stays there. So that's kind of what it feels like. Um, And it can start to cause like nerve issues and things like and circulation issues um, in the lower legs. So that was like the major one. And this is really awful because this is my last year of college. And of course, I was working as a group fitness instructor and a personal trainer. And um, if anybody is familiar with the UMass Amherst campus, it's massive. So I also needed to, you know, park my car in Mordor and walk to yeah. <laughs> class. So I remember this last year of school, my last semester, I skipped every single physics class because it was just too far for me to walk. I just kind of let that one go because I was in too much pain, and I was like, "I'll retake it in the summer. It's fine." So technically, like my summer after senior year, I took physics to just redo okay. it. And then, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the major one, but it was. Um, really hard for me to recover from it because I was working as a personal trainer and just financially, like I couldn't take the time off my feet that I really needed to fully recover. And the other thing was, it was people always ask me like what started it. And I think this is kind of a big part of my transformation story of like how I stopped being that person that pushed too much. Yeah. Um, it wasn't necessarily that I was working out too much. People always say, oh, you were overdoing it. It was more an accumulation of stress everywhere in my life. So I was working two jobs. I had a full schedule at school, um, and my jobs happened to be active, and I was also doing running on my own, and I was a very stereotypically sleep-deprived college student doing all of this, um, as well as some emotional stress stuff that I had going on at the same time. So my body was not recovering at all. And that's a huge, huge piece of it. Like exercise, people think of as a stress reducer, but it's stress in itself too. So even though I wasn't necessarily doing too much volume or maybe too much high intensity, I think actually high intensity was probably a piece of it. But um, it was just an accumulation of everything, right? And it, it took me a while to recover from how much I put myself through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This it just all of this reminded me of um I had an episode with Corinne. I can't remember her name, but she was in Jill's uh in um Best of You and she was saying something like, you know, if you ignore your body, your body will get your attention and mm-hmm. basically in a way that you don't like. Um, and like you said, like all of this accumulating. Like if someone were to look at you, they'd be like, Oh, like she's on top of her game, like she's a personal trainer and she's like taking all these classes and like blah blah blah. But like it was too much. It was too much. Your body's like, Hey, can't do this anymore. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it was kind of an amazing way it started up because this is kind of an injury that mostly people will start to feel it gradually come on. But I remember I was out for a run with my um, boss from the gym. We were going out for a short, like two mile, right? Short two mile. (laughs) Um, And We got about a mile in, and then all of a sudden, I took one step on my leg, and it was like sharp and owie, and I was like, ow, and then I tried to run on it again. I was like, ow, and I had to walk all the way back to the gym, I couldn't run anymore, and over the next couple of days, all of a sudden, I couldn't walk without pain. Um, and it was to the point where I went to the doctor and I nearly kicked him in the face when he touched my shin. Oh my <laughs> so, so that's what they call like exquisite pain. They, yeah. I was in so much pain that they thought that I had um, stress fractures. So they just immediately put me in a boot on the one worst side um, to protect it until I got a bone scan, which said I was all clear. Yeah. So it's just kind of amazing to me like how I got to that point where I was like, I can't
0: even be on my feet anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. When movement is like literally your. Career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did that get resolved? Um,
1: honestly, it's still technically resolving a little bit. So, mm-hmm. it was misdiagnosed for a year. Um, so, basically, the entire last year I was in school and then throughout the summer, and then I finally got diagnosed. Um, they diagnosed this by basically sticking probes in your legs to check um, your pressures. Um, so, think about te- checking your tire. That's kind of what they do with your legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And then they sent me to a physical therapist and these are actually the people that, what year is it? Eight years later, seven years later, I'm still seeing the same people for physical therapy. Um, The doctor kind of put it, he was like, I'm sending you to the guy I send the hard cases to. (laughs) Um, And it was very interesting and they completely changed actually my outlook on training as well. Um, Because in a standard um i kind of call it old school at this point physical therapy setting they like to focus on the pieces so if i were to go to them with my lower leg injury they'd say okay you need to stretch your calves you need to stretch your shins you need to um, strengthen all the muscles about your ankle and you should be good to go and that's kind of simplifying it but at this physical therapy place i went in with my lower leg stuff and they were like look at how she's sitting in the chair when she's talking Look at how she's standing. Look at how her right shoulder is sloped lower than her Mm -hmm. right shoulder. Um, Look at how she's stuck in extension through her spine. And then they put me through some movement assessments. And they were like, your worst movement patterns are this one and this one. And it's changed over the course of me seeing them for seven years. But um, at the time, the consensus was you are not using your lower, um, deeper internal core. And part of that is positioning. And you are not using your glutes. And I like kind of had a light bulb moment when I was there with them because as a trainer, I kept trying to you know do deadlifts and they'd feel okay. They didn't hurt anything, but I never, ever, ever, ever had sore glutes ever. And that was like one of the things that they put me in these positions where I had no choice but to try to use my glutes. And I'm like, I physically cannot move it it won't go anywhere. And it was like this amazing realization of disconnection. Um, So that's who I went to. And they were doing a really good job with kind of retraining me as best they could, considering, of course, I was not taking time off of work. So I was still, you know, pushing Mm -hmm. a little more than I should have. Um, And it was actually getting me some results until I got my next handful of injuries. So (laughs) I got a little derailed by injuries that were not exactly my fault hmm yeah uh, so what happened was i wiped out on some icy stairs and got whiplash in my neck that eventually developed into a pinched nerve at c7 so lower part of my neck and i was dealing with this pinched nerve and that was bad enough as it was um i was you know told to lift as little as possible at work to have my clients pick up their own weights Um, At the time, my little brother was actually shadowing me at work. So I would have him pick up even the 10-pound weight. I would have him go get everything. Yeah. Um, And then a few months after that, I was whitewater rafting with said little brother, who is not actually very little. He was a 300-pound lineman at the time. He was sitting in front of me when we went whitewater rafting, and he got knocked back into my head. So... I ended up getting a lot more weird symptoms that I thought were neck symptoms, but fast forward over a year in the future, I finally went to the right doctor who told me that I was dealing with post-concussion syndrome, and that's why I was, you know, struggling with the stuff that I was doing really well with, because before the neck and head injury, I was getting better with um, being able to recruit my core and being able to recruit my glutes, but the second I got the neck and the head injury, I could not, like, brace at all. Like it was impacting even breathing beyond lying on my back with my feet up and breathing in and out the nose and some super light stretches. I did not do anything else for workouts for probably two years. So it was, wow. it was a lot. So that really derailed my progress because I've had people that, um, you know, from college that like, wait, you're still dealing with that leg injury. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I had these huge curveballs balls that came in and smacked me of course um so it's been a while to really rebuild everything especially with um working the hours that are honestly just associated with a trainer trying to keep training mm-hmm. so so yeah it was a lot it's
0: a lot yeah and then just emotionally dealing with oh life's another blow another blow another thing like that that can be a lot to just even want to show up for yourself during those things that's hard oh, yeah.
1: And I also kind of, um, I think this is also a big piece of why I still work with people that are injured. It's also incredibly isolating, especially if it's something that people can't see and they don't know is an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So with my leg stuff, like people are like, you're a trainer. Why can't you just, you know, go on this hike with me? Why can't you just go on this walk with me? And I was just like, I I can't, I can't. I need to save my legs for work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then same thing with head stuff. The head stuff was honestly some of the harder, harder stuff, because one, I didn't know what was happening. And two, I couldn't explain to people. I don't know why I'm just so physically exhausted. I can't do anything else. So I did nothing but work for those years. Like I barely spent any time on a social life, you know? And, um, you know, even thinking back to like some conversations with clients, like where I felt like my brain just shut off, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I look so stupid in front of them because, like, my brain just stopped working." <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it, yeah, it's kind of it's hard, but it definitely um, builds up a lot of ability to have even more empathy for people that are in chronic pain. It's something that you don't really understand until you've gone through it yourself. Uh, chronic pain, and I mean stuff that you know keeps you from going to hang out with your friends and. Um, stuff that keeps you in bed—it it really just makes you have an entirely negative outlook on life. As best as you know, you try. Like I mean, you and I have talked about all the personal development books, books we read, and stuff like that. So we're very much in this culture of improving ourselves and trying to take a positive outlook and having a new growth mindset. But even still, like you have some real down days and a real negative outlook just from having that constant signal of pain Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah it's um yeah constantly with you uh like it's hard to do I don't have I don't have chronic pain and there's days that I have a really hard time just being me and then adding that layer like that's a lot that's a lot and then also too like having to be in front of people client facing like that's like, that's a lot of emotional energy that you have to exert to do your job. So it's just kind of a lot, um, just layer on layer. I want to talk about, so I've seen, like, on your Instagram uh, recently, maybe the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months, mm-hmm. you've been posting some things like uh, running more or sprinting more, just, like, different mm-hmm. things that you are doing now that you haven't been able to do. What, what's that been like for you? It's
1: been amazing. Um, I know that so we're obviously in the time of corona and being quarantines, and most of us are not working outside of our homes if at all. um for me, I obviously work in a gym, and that got closed down uh, pretty early on in all of this, so I didn't have a job, and I didn't have a job that I needed to wake up at five a m for. I didn't need to be on my feet all day, my step count has gone down, and I literally have no responsibilities outside of any responsibility I want to hold to myself because I'm not supposed to be working with my clients um, from my employer so I saw this opportunity to really start pushing myself because I've had many conversations with my physical therapist about you know what if i didn't have this job on my feet what if i actually had a nine to five where i sat on my butt all day and then just did the exercises that i needed to do to then prep me for running and you know we've kind of talked about it many times speculating like if you didn't need to be on your feet and you didn't need to demonstrate exercises and you got to sleep and you got to nourish your body and you got to do only the things that you know you need to do for yourself you would probably be able to get back to running like there's your movement is good there's no real reason you can't progressively overload yourself and get to that point so the second the gym closed i was like (laughs) that's what i'm gonna do i took like two weeks and i just slept for forever (laughs) i was sleeping like almost 10 hours every single night for two weeks it was amazing yeah Um, and now i've kind of averaged out somewhere on like seven and a half eight and um, I was getting the recovery that my brain and my body needed. Cause even like now, like I don't have as many brain symptoms, but that still is a factor. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then I started, uh, doing more sprints. I had already done a couple like here and there in the fall, but I would do like one time every two or three weeks. And, uh, I think last week or the week before I started doing twice a week. I think I shot for three times a week once and that was too much. So we're down to two times a week seems to be the magic number for me to get back to running. So honestly, it's still even almost 8 years later, I still actually no, almost 9 years later, I want to get back to running. I it's never been anything that has left my mind or my heart to be super cheesy. I still want to get back to it. So, I'm trying to incorporate it within my body's ability basically and in my capacity so i have been doing sprinting because the nature of my injury its actually the deceleration that aggravates that aggravates it more mm-hmm. um so if you think of like kind of going for a jog that's kind of constantly decelerating and constantly use, using your calves and your shins to slow mm-hmm. you down okay where sprinting is actually all propulsion. So it's it's supposed to be coming from the glutes. And I have now been working on my glutes for almost nine years. So they better work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) They better work. Um, So with that, basically trying to run as fast as possible. It's not like an actual sprint by any means, I would say. Um, I'm focusing on connecting my hips to the motion and not necessarily having to rely on a lot of my lower leg, mm-hmm. so that's kind of been my approach to how I'm getting back to running. I always like to kind of explain that because I don't think most people coming back from an injury, like if they had a hip or a knee injury, I would say that's not the way to go. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Like I I've gone a lot of the times when it's raining um, because that means nobody's on the field, so. I'm alone I don't need to worry about six feet apart um and I'm just I'll start running and the times that it just feels really good I just start like cry laughing mid-run
0: <laughs> to have that that freedom back at like that joy back yeah been so long yeah it's huge mm-hmm. I think um I'm glad you, not that it, I'm not glad that it's taken you nine years, but I'm glad that you're mentioning that, But sometimes it is going to take some time and, um, but also not giving up that it, it's going to take some time to get back to what you can do or, and having that freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of another podcast I had with, um uh alex i can't i can't remember last names but she was talking about this whole like movement without pain that it is possible but like you have to build up to it my dad laughs when i tell him about physical therapy he's like you have to do exercise so that you can exercise and i was like yeah yeah basically (laughs) yeah yeah
1: i mean unfortunately that's actually the majority of people i would say because of our modern lifestyles unless we are living a more indigenous life right it's something that we need because we've just, I mean, we don't even need to walk to the corded phone anymore. You know what I mean? Like our phone is just there. It's with us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's um, that's actually something that I wrote in like the running guide that we have been talking back and forth about is that I wrote that unfortunately you probably do need to do some kind of strength training to support
0: your running habits. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit. So a lot of people, myself included, we start running because running is free. Uh you don't need anyone to tell you how to run. You're like, "Cool. I uh had this really shitty day and I have no money. Uh so I'm going to put on my shoes that I got from Kohl's with my Kohl's cash and I'm going to go out running." And then you start it and you're like, "Cool, this is great and it's free." And then you pay some money for some races and you're like, cool, like you drop like 50, you know, seven here and there. And then you start to realize that your body's hurting (laughs) and there's different parts of your body where you're like, shoot, you know, this doesn't feel so good. That's where a lot of people will either completely stop or no pain, no gain. They'll push through the pain and whatever. I guess this is just a part of this. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what what kind of things do you see from new runners that might come to you in the gym or might come to you online? What are the things that they're struggling with uh, that you notice the most?
1: Um, So basically counteracting modern life. That's kind of number one. Um, So any kind of mobility issue that they might have, stability issue, those are all important and they're going to impact um, how efficiently they can run. So I think most of us have kind of heard this idea that the body is connected. And if something isn't working properly, something else needs to compensate. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it comes to mobility, the biggest things I see are a lack of ankle mobility, a lack of hip mobility, and a lack of thoracic mobility. So with ankles, um, going back to what you and I were just talking about, about how in sprinting, I'm really just propelling myself forward with my hips. If I've got a stiff ankle, uh, that is not going to allow me to get to that end range of gait where I'm pushing off on my toe and engaging that glute to propel myself forward. So if I don't have that, that motion is going to come from somewhere else. Um, And ankles get tight with modern life because we're in stiff um, high support shoes on flat, hard surfaces that we don't even need to go over a little bump anymore. If there's a little bump anywhere, it's usually like masked out with like orange paint, right? <laughs> um, so we don't have that same rocking that we might have on a rough terrain that would keep our ankles looser. And then in general, just lack of movement and lack of getting into positions we're designed for, like getting into a deep squat, um, lack of that is going to make it so that our ankles just aren't getting greased up. Joints are a very interesting thing that they don't really have their own um, blood flow supply. So they kind of really require movement to keep them greased up. That's the way I like to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and hip mobility, things like sitting at a desk, um, sitting in chairs in general, those are going to make it so that we start to really tighten up with the hips because they're in a shortened position. But also um, they're going to change the way our body stabilizes and then thoracic spine that's the upper back um that gets tight because of all the you know looking in the phone sitting at a desk which again changes how your body is stabilizing there and it gets stiffer and stiffer and makes it so that it's harder to breathe because our rib cage is supposed to be able to expand um and starts to build tension in places like our neck shoulders um even our low back and there's kind of a more complicated way of looking at it where it kind of changes, you know, joint by joint up the body mm-hmm. by sitting in a chair as opposed to being on your feet. Um, so those are the big mobility things. And then stability is a huge thing because running is entirely a single leg exercise. And I think when people start to picture it this way, they start to realize that they might have um, some imbalances that are going to impact their running. So I like to make people do, um, just a 10 second balance test. Can you balance on one foot for 10 seconds with your knee as high as your hip? And if you can't, you probably shouldn't be running. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's actually a lot of people, myself included, when I was going to physical therapy, um, early on, I couldn't balance on my foot for 10 seconds. And of course that means when I'm running and under more load, I now have to very quickly stabilize, so I need dynamic stability, um, and I also need to be able to have the strength to support that single leg exercise. Um, so stability is huge there, and then strength. Strength is massive. Um, so going back to the idea that it's a single leg exercise, every time you heel strike, your heel is basically starting to absorb three times your body weight. Mm-hmm. So think about. Three times your body weight. Think about maybe doing a single leg leg press and having someone throw three times the yep. weight on there and you trying to do a leg press. You're obviously not going through that same kind of range of motion in running, you're not going as deep. Um, but that's going to be a lot of stress that your body needs to be able to absorb and handle. Um, and then I think in general, um, kinks in the kinetic chain are also huge. And I like to bring this one up because people think running, they think they need to strengthen their hips. They think they need to strengthen their legs, which is true. And maybe they think they need to strengthen their core for injury prevention because I think most people have heard that a strong or a stable core um, can really help with preventing injuries. But a lot of people don't think about their upper body. Your upper body is also a part of the system. Um, When we're looking at the whole body, force is really supposed to be distributed all the way up Um, from toe to your opposite arm when you're running and if you don't have strong or developed or activated muscles up there it kind of puts this weak link in the chain so not that everyone needs to go become you know hulk hogan with their upper body but if you are training your legs you should probably be doing something to train your arms Mm. to at least mitigate the fact that your legs are getting really strong and your upper body kind of isn't so if you're not doing any kind of training that's definitely a big missing piece, too. Mm-hmm. So, I think those are the big ones that I notice and that I um, try to account for. Like, if I've got someone that comes to me that, you know, they've got a grumpy knee or something like that, and they have a goal of getting back to running, we kind of work on checking their mobility and stability, working on these things in their warm up or maybe even sprinkled in in the types of exercises I give them throughout the workout. Um, but then also checking where they are when it comes to strength and stability. So it's not like, okay, everybody do lunges because um, running is a single leg exercise. If they don't have the stability to do a single leg exercise, going back to balancing on one foot, then we got to start at squats. And then we got to start on working towards being able to stabilize on the one leg. And then we can work on loading the one leg. And then we can work on making it more of a dynamic load, like turning it into instead of just a stationary lunge, turning it into a walking lunge. So there's a lot of progression that goes into this. And a lot of it comes down to looking at the pieces of running and looking at how you can work on the pieces so you can put it together in a whole.
0: Yeah. So I, uh, something that I'm really big on is, um, right, like you've obviously <laughs> dealt with pain and I am currently, and it's very expensive mm-hmm. uh, going to a doctor and uh, going to physical therapy <laughs> week by week. All of this stuff is really expensive. Um, And also, like, you have to sit out. Like, I have to sit out. I can't run right now. And it sucks. Um, Granted, no races are happening right now. But, like, why is it – can you explain a little bit more about all of this stuff that we're talking about with strengthening your body, um, not just your legs, but your upper body as well, If you start that now, like someone listens to this episode and they go to your website and they get your stuff and they start doing this stuff now, what are they going to like prevent happening in the future? Like, why is it really important that anyone listening, even if they don't have like pain right now, that they start doing this stuff? Yeah.
1: Um, it is something that's really hard to think about. It's kind of like this. I kind of like the analogy of the smoker that continues smoking because it's not an immediate Mm. result that they're going to get lung cancer. It's not always obvious what's going to happen. The reason it's obvious in my eyes is because I've been looking at this for 10 years. Even said, that doesn't mean that someone that has these potential risk factors might even have an issue, just like there's someone that still smokes a pack a day, but somehow lives to be 86 years old not common but it happens right Mm -hmm. like no one would still say that smoking is okay for you like we would still say don't do it Mm -hmm. um even though there are anomalies out there so this is based off of um, a lot that's coming out in the fitness industry of things that we should be looking out for as well as the physical therapy industry um if you have these risk factors and this is actually something that I put together in the guide I wanted people to be able to sort of test this themselves So, it's not the same as a movement screen that I would put people through. But let's say for ankle mobility, I put in a deep squat test to see if ankles might be an issue for you. So, this is kind of an easier example for people to picture because people are familiar with the squat. And if we're talking about a deep squat, I'm talking about the kind of squat you would need to take to take a dump in the woods. (laughs) So, (laughs) if you can't get into that position with keeping your heels on the floor, That's a sign that we've got um, potentially other mobility issues, but definitely looking at some tight ankles in that position. So that would be kind of best guess based on this, because I don't think everybody needs to do every potential corrective exercise. And this is actually something that I work on with my clients of we don't waste our time with the ones that don't seem to be doing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So someone that has perfectly mobile ankles, we're not going to do ankle drills. Someone that has perfectly mobile hips, we're not going to worry too much about doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this guide, I put in um, some potential tests for you to try on your own Mm -hmm. to see if it's something that you even need to be working on. So same thing with like, you know, figuring out, do you need to work on your hip stability? If you can't balance on one leg, probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was that's a huge one that's my doctor she was like actually she said uh you have pain when you're hopping on one foot you cannot go running yeah (laughs) don't tell me that but also like sometimes you need to be told these things you need sometimes you need to be told no you're not going I just think about like even kind of right now like with corona um some of the mirrors that have come out and they're like, no, you're not going outside. Like sometimes you need (laughs) that, like that person to tell you to stop, to Mm -hmm. stop doing this thing because it is, like you said, it's not going to cause danger right away. It's not, you're not going to see it right away, but if you continue doing this, it is likely going to happen. Mm -hmm. You just need to be told that. Yeah. And I think also
1: sometimes it comes down to um, looking at why you're doing the thing. And asking yourself, is this the only way? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to running, and this is actually something, like, not that I would want to discourage anybody from starting a fitness habit, but running isn't necessarily the only way you need to go. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone that has a lot of these risk factors, um, I probably would say, are you sure running? Are you sure you don't want to do something else? Mm -hmm. And I get that, like you said, it's a super accessible way of getting some exercise. It's just putting on some sneakers and going outside. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. Yeah. Um, But if you're going to just continue to have pain or you are going to get discouraged by any kind of setback with that, maybe there's another way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I talked about that in a the previous episode. I was like, you know, if someone, if, the, if my doctor told me like, Jacqueline, you have to stop, then it's like, all right, can I pick up riding a bicycle? Can I become a swimmer? Can I become a weightlifter? What is it like something else? Mm-hmm. It's not as accessible as running. But like, why keep putting myself through something that's hurting my body? When it was right. supposed to be fun. It was supposed to be something that was fun. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's just not worth it. Um, that's awesome. So I'm really excited about this guide. I think it's going to help a lot of people and especially as it's starting to get warmer out and because people can't go to gyms right now, right? Uh, we'll <laughs> probably see a lot of people out there running and trying to do this. So I think that this is something huge. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you want people to know just to keep their bodies safe or it's just keep positive during this time as they're getting started with You know, some sort of movement. I think um,
1: the next, uh, one of the really important things is remembering the progressive overload principle. So this is like the bottom line in any kind of strength and conditioning program of any sort. So whether you are starting weightlifting, you're starting running, or you're even just starting to go for walks, you need to gradually progress yourself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the hard part is we don't know what this looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a lot of the programs that are out there start people running too much too fast. Um, and if we're kind of looking at this from the general recommendations in the running world, they say don't increase your mileage more than 10% a week. So, like you are probably familiar with that, having done marathons, that's kind of the protocol that they have in gradually increasing your mileage but that's really hard to consider when we're talking about someone that maybe has never gone for a run mm-hmm. and maybe they don't even go for walks. Maybe they've just yeah. decided I've got this sedentary job. I've got this sedentary lifestyle a home. It's time for me to start moving and they want to get right into a couch to 5k program when they really don't spend much time on their feet in general. So let's say someone, most of us have step trackers at this point or have one that's built into our phone. If you've got someone that's only doing 3,000 steps a day, which is possible if they have a very sedentary lifestyle, and they've got this Couch to 5K program that says go walk, run a mile, which is about an extra 2,000 steps, now they've you know increased almost twofold compared to where they were. So you really have to consider this, like not all of the programs that are out there are made for you where you are right now. That's not to say running isn't something you can work towards or even going for longer walks. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just something to keep in mind that you might not be at the starting
0: point that they designed that program for. Mm -hmm. That's huge, yeah. Make those, so those A to B movements instead of jumping in and trying to get to Z, um, I think that that's huge and that's gonna help a lot of people. It's still Mm -hmm. possible, it just has to be slower. Awesome. All right. So if people want to connect with you or find out more about like <laughs> safely running, where can they uh what can they where can they go? Um so they can find me on Instagram um at coach.erica,
1: Erica spelt with a K. Um, and then Facebook should be the same, Coach Erica Tabor or Coach Erica. Um I do have a blog, uh, coacherica.com. There's a couple articles up there. And I've just downloaded TikTok because who else hasn't? Because (laughs) what else is there to do? I haven't. Oh, man. So if anyone wants to find me on there, it's Erica Tabor. (laughs) Are you singing and dancing? I'm not singing and dancing. I've got a couple up there. And I've got some ideas brewing. It's happening.
0: I know that a song and dance look will be coming soon. Awesome. Cool. And then I will have that guide for them in the show notes as well so they can get that and connect with you. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Jacqueline.